morning, family, once again. Thank you so much for being here in God's house. Uh, we have a very special message this morning. It's different from what you'll find in your bulletin. I was inspired to share something a little bit different. But nonetheless, God has a rich blessing for us. And so I invite you to bow your heads. Let us begin with the word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, thank you so much, Lord, for your great love and your mercy towards us. Thank you, Lord, that you're a persistent God that chases us, pursues us, even when we run from you. Thank you, Lord, that you have given us yourself as a solid rock foundation in a time of storm. And Lord, as we look at the condition of our world, we are seeing that, yes, a storm is approaching, a shaking is taking place, and we need, Lord, you to be our firm foundation. Thank you, Lord, that there is safety and security in Christ. And Lord, today as we open your holy word, please speak to us. Give us ears to hear your voice, a heart to know your will. And I pray that whatever burdens we're carrying will be laid at the feet of Jesus today and that we will be blessed and refreshed by the message. This is our prayer and we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. I invite you to take your Bible and turn with me to the book of Psalms, the 38th division. Our message this morning is entitled, Issue of Blood. We'll begin in Psalms 38, where we read a very powerful and potent prayer of one that is pouring out himself before God, with vivid words of melancholic mourning. The suffering psalmist is laying out his condition before God. And I want you to notice the language of his heart. Psalms 38, beginning with verse 1. And if you're there and if you're ready to study the Bible this morning, would you please say amen. Notice the prayer of the psalmist. He says, O Lord, rebuke me not in thy wrath, neither chasten me with thy hot displeasure. For thine arrows stick fast in me, and thine hand presses me sore. There is no soundness in my flesh because of thine anger. Neither is there any rest in my bones because of my sin. For mine iniquities are gone over my head. And as a heavy burden, they are too heavy for me. My wounds stink and are corrupt because of my foolishness. I am troubled. I am bowed down greatly. I go mourning all the day long. For my loins are filled with a loathsome disease, and there is no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and sore broken. I have roared by reason of the disquietness of my heart. Here we read the words of one that is carrying a heavy burden. A burden that is seeking to lay down at the feet of God. The psalmist in his prayers describing how he is pierced with the arrows of conviction, cut with the blades of truth. And the truth of his condition as he describes is that there is no soundness in his flesh. Like the unclean leper, his body is covered with stinking wounds. His frame is supported by restless bones. This psalmist, my friends, is suffering from the loathsome disease of sin. His strength is failing. His heart is groaning. 
And as we read this prayer, I believe that this is something that we all can identify and relate with. The psalmist is basically describing the condition of you and me. We are plagued with the disease of sin. But then notice the hopeful resolution of the wounded sufferer. Notice what he says in verse 15. For in thee, O Lord, do I hope. Thou will hear, O Lord, my God. Friends, we can thank God today that there is hope and health for each and every one of us. Amen? The psalmist is recognizing that his hope is not found in himself or some earthly physician. His hope is found in the Lord of hope the great physician, the gentle healer. But I want us to notice what the psalmist has to do in order to receive the relief from the disease that he is suffering from. Notice in verse 18. He says, For I will declare mine iniquity, and I will be what? Sorry for my sin. My friends, this prayer outlines a very simple gospel principle. And that is that if we want to be made whole and healed from the disease of our sin, we must declare our iniquity to the Lord. We must make it plain the wretchedness of our lives. We can't hold back, sugarcoat it, water it down, or play the blame game and make excuses for who we are. We must own our issues Because physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual wholeness only comes when we recognize the disease of our sin. I wasn't brought up in the church. Growing up, I had no idea what was God or who was God. And I had a big, I had lots of issues in my life. I was addicted to marijuana, addicted to smoking weed and and, and running around and partying and all these things. And there was a time in my life when I started coming to church. And I was seeking after the Lord, but not with my whole heart. I was not sorry for my sin. I was sorry for the consequences of sin, which is death. And I rationalized my sin away, and I said to myself, and I said to others, I'm not going to touch the chemical stuff, just the natural stuff, because God made it. And I would rationalize, and I would think to myself, when I get high, that's when I can go deep and understand spiritual things. I would even quote the Bible. I said, Genesis chapter 1 says that God has given to man every herb yielding seed. And so it must be good. I was twisting God's word to do my own thing. Really, I was just burning up my brain cells. Just because something is natural doesn't mean it's good, friends. Because remember, thorns are natural too. And so it wasn't until I was invited to a Bible prophecy seminar and heard the truths of God's word that I finally came to the point of acknowledging my true condition, that I was a slave to sin, a slave to these addictions, and I stopped making excuses, and I stopped rationalizing, and I told the whole truth. I laid out myself before the Lord, and that's when I finally found the freedom and the healing that the gospel offers us. My friends, Jesus said that the truth shall make you free. But before we can be made free by the truth, we first must recognize the lie that's holding us in captivity. We must first acknowledge that deception that's holding us in spiritual bondage. In other words, friends, before the truth can liberate us and heal us, 
we must make plain our iniquity like the psalmist is doing. I want to read from the book Christ Object Lessons, page 158. It says this, we must know our real condition or we shall not feel our need of Christ's help. We must understand the, our danger or we shall not flee to the refuge. And then it says, we must feel the pain of our wounds. We must feel the what? The pain of our wounds. Or else we should not desire healing. How's it with you today, my friends? Do you have pain? Where are you hurting? Maybe there's pain in your physical body. You have cancer or diabetes or some kind of disease, arthritis or high blood pressure. You have pain in your body or maybe chaos in your finances. Misery in your marriage, brokenness in your home, maybe no fire in your ministry. My friends, no matter how painful your situation may be, you can still thank God for it. Why? Because pain is good when it causes us to seek the one that can bring health, healing, and relief. Before we can be healed, we must first recognize that we're sick. You see, it is a detailed diagnosis that must precede a proper prognosis. Before the tumor can be removed, a cutting incision can be made. And friends, the nature of God's word is that it's a two-edged sword. It cuts both ways. The nature of God's word is that it cuts against the sinful flesh. God uses the sword of his word not like a butcher does to kill, but rather like a surgeon does to heal. And before we can feel the relief of the healing word, we first must feel the pain of the cutting word. But what exactly is that pain that drives us to seek the healer? What is that pain that we must feel before we can be made whole? Well, friends, it's the same pain that caused a woman way back in the Bible days to seek the gentle healer, Jesus Christ. And her story is a very familiar story that I want us to look at once again. Notice as we turn to the book of Mark, chapter 5. Please take your Bible and turn to Mark, the fifth chapter, where we read that very familiar story of this woman that has a bunch of issues. She's a woman of pain and a woman of shame that causes her to seek the gentle healer that came into town that day. Mark, chapter 5, beginning with verse 25. When you get there, would you let me know by saying amen? Mark 5, verse 25, it says, an assertive woman which had an issue of blood, how long? Twelve years. And had suffered many things of many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was nothing better, but rather grew worse. Here the Bible introduces us to a woman that is plagued with pain. And she is suffering in more ways than one. You see, the nature of her malady rendered her physically weak. With lowered blood supply, her energy was sapped all the time. She could barely move, and she was suffering from constant fatigue. You see, the Bible says that the life is in the blood. And as the blood continued to flow for 12 years straight, this woman could see her life just slipping away. Oh, how she longed to be healed. She longed to live a life that was free from this pain. And this disease not only robbed her of life, it also robbed her of her finances. Whatever money she had, the Bible said, she invested in her healing. You know, it's true when they say that your greatest wealth is your health. When someone is sick, they can't enjoy life. 
And they invest all their money and their, their means into trying to get better. And so that's what this woman did. She went from physician to physician to physician seeking for a cure, seeking for help. And the doctors took her money, but they could not take away her pain. What this woman needed was far more than what man could give. Her need was greater than the supply of the world. And so the record tells us that she left those doctors physically worse. Emotionally drained, financially exhausted. For her, death was knocking at the door. She knew that her days were numbered. She knew that she, if she did not get help, she was sure to die. But friends, that wasn't the worst of her issues. She was not only a woman of pain, but a woman of shame. You see, the nature of her sickness rendered her ceremonially unclean according to the Levitical law. According to the law, everything that she touched would be contaminated. You see, unlike other women whose flow would cease after a few days, her issue continue, continued to flow 12 years straight. And you can imagine that after so long, her disease became her identity. In fact, we don't even know her name. She's just known to us as a certain woman. She was embarrassed of who she was. People would gossip about her. Talk about her behind her back. They did everything they could to avoid her contaminating touch. She was physically infected, emotionally neglected, and socially rejected. She couldn't have any children. Nor could she experience the joy of marital intimacy. Like a deserted island in the middle of the ocean, she felt isolated and alone. And she actually felt that she was under the curse of God. And that's exactly how she was treated by the church. A woman of pain and a woman of embarrassing shame. And friends, in this sad, pitiful picture of this broken, bleeding woman, we find the picture of all humanity. As we read these words, my friends, it is a picture of you and it's a picture of me. For just as this woman had an issue of blood, so too every one of us have an issue of sin. The disease of sin is a terminal disease that infects every single person in this room. It's an issue that we have to deal with. You know, in life, we have lots of issues we need to deal with. We have health issues, family issues, marital issues, financial issues, tax issues. There are even some that have personality issues. They're high and then they're low the next day. Personality issues. I don't know about you, but I got some issues. Do you have issues? Or am I the only one? Why don't you turn to the person next to you and tell that person, hey man, you got some issues. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> and respond to that person by saying, yeah, you too, you need some help. <laughs> My friends, we have so many issues. We have issues in the church, doctrinal issues, issues sometimes with doubts, issues with faith. But friends, I want to submit to us this morning that many of the issues that we're dealing with, whether, whether it's health, relational, financial, many of these issues are simply symptoms of a greater issue within. And many times we get distracted by the outward symptoms and we don't deal with the main issue. My friends, what is the main and biggest issue we face? 
According to the divine Dr. Jesus, in Revelation, the third chapter, Jesus diagnoses the condition of the church of Laodicea, those who are living in the time of the investigative judgment, the end time church, and he tells them that you're neither hot nor are you cold, you're lukewarm. You think that you're rich and have need of nothing. You don't recognize that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked, my friends. What is worse than having cancer is having it and not even realizing it. Because you can't do any, you, you're not going to do anything about it. But the issues that the church of Laodicea faces are just the symptoms of the main issue found in Revelation 3 in verse 20. You can turn there quickly if you want. But the 20th verse of Revelation 3 tells us that the main issue is that Jesus is on the outside knocking. Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him. I will sup with him and he with me. The greatest main issue of Laodicea, my friends, is an issue of the heart. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Every issue we face streams from an issue of the heart. An issue of the heart. My friends, what is the purpose of the physical heart? What is the purpose of the heart in, in your chest? The role of the heart is to pump what? The blood, but what kind of blood? The oxygenated blood to the rest of your body. The Bible says that the life is in the blood. Do you know why? Because the blood is what carries the breath of life, the oxygen that gives life to the rest of your body. So the heart is so very important. Without the heart that pumps the oxygenated blood, we would not have life. My friends, the greatest issue of Laodicea, the greatest issue that we face is an issue of the heart. And unless the heart is fixed, all the other issues, whether it be health, financial, relational, will continue to flow and continue to be a distraction. My wife and I have the privilege of traveling all over the world, conducting seminars on, and sharing the three angels' messages and one of our most recent seminars was in Southern California, and while we were there, we stayed with the church clerk. Her name is Lori. She's in her 70s, a widow, doing her best to serve the Lord with gladness, and she told us the story that three years ago, she had fallen and injured her, her foot very badly. Her foot ended up getting better, but there was a wound on her heel that never fully healed. And for three years straight, that wound continued to flow blood and pus. It's an open wound, and Lori did everything she could to try to heal her wound. She did all the natural remedies, went to multiple doctors, took all the prescribed medications, spent multiple hours and thousands of dollars, but no one could diagnose her problem, and no one could fix it. And so Lori just accepted that she would have this open wound for the rest of her life. We prayed with her, we encouraged her, and then two weeks later, she told us the rest of the story. She shared with us that she went to see a cardiologist, and they did an echocardiogram, and they made a shocking discovery. They discovered that Lori actually had a hole in her heart. She was born with it, but she was asymptomatic. She had no symptoms for her whole life. She didn't realize it. 
And because of her age, she was due for a stroke at any time. And so for the past three years, Lori was so distracted and worried about the wound on her heel, not realizing that her greatest problem was a hole in her heart. My friends, I started thinking about that. It reminded me of us today. Because in the same way, our main problem is not with an an open wound or an obvious outward symptom. Our greatest problem is not with our health, our finances, or our relationships. Our main problem, our greatest problem is that there's a hole in our heart. Jesus is standing on the outside of the door of our hearts trying to get in. And on the inside, yes, we might have good theology. We might have all the right answers to all the questions. Our heads might be full, but our hearts might be empty. And Jesus is desperately trying to get in, to fix the heart. And unless we allow him in to fix our heart, we will continue to have all these issues. It will continue to flow and be a distraction. And so what did this woman try to do to heal her issue of blood? Well, the Bible tells us that she had spent how much? She had spent all. And it says that she was nothing bettered. In fact, she actually got worse. And in the same way, friends, we don't have enough money to purchase spiritual healing. You see, salvation from sin isn't something that can be purchased with money or earned by labor. All the resources in the world cannot buy salvation. I'm so grateful that it's a gift from God. Amen? The Bible says in Isaiah 64 and verse 6, But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are as what? Filthy rags. All the money we give, all the time that we spend, all the programs we hold, and all the projects we complete, and every good deed that we perform in and of ourselves is tainted with selfishness and spiritual pride. My friends, filthy rags are an actual reference to the monthly menstruous garment. Even our good works are looked upon as an issue of blood. And so what then can stop the issue of blood? What then can stop the issue of sin? There are two things. How many things? Two things I want to highlight from this story. Notice what they are in verse 27. The Bible says, when she had heard of Jesus, my friend, she heard of Jesus. That's good news. She had gone to so many physicians, but then she heard of the great physician. You know, there are many people here in this city that have not yet heard of Jesus, that have not yet heard the words that you have heard. God wants us to to spread the message to others, amen, so that people can hear that the gentle healer has come into town. The Bible says she had heard of Jesus, and then it says, She came in the press from which direction? From behind and touched his garment. For she said, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. Now, this is very interesting. This woman heard of Jesus, and she believed that if she would just touch the hem of his garment, 
she would be made whole. She believed that salvation was in his clothes. Now, friends, you have to understand that at this point in the biblical narrative, this certain woman had already made several attempts to try to get to Jesus. Her first attempt, according to the book Desire of Ages, was when Jesus was by the seaside teaching the people. She tried to get to him there, but the crowd was too thick. She couldn't get through the crowd. Her second attempt was at Matthew's house. Well, when she went, the house was filled with people and she could not get in. But now Jesus is coming from Matthew's house, going to Jerry's house to heal his daughter. And on the way there, there's a crowd of people surrounding Jesus and this woman sees Jesus in the crowd. Her previous attempts at Christ had proven unsuccessful. She sees him afar off and she's longing to get his attention, not realizing that he saw her the whole time. Jesus saw her by the seaside when the crowd was too thick. Jesus saw her standing outside of Matthew's house, unable to get in. And Jesus sees her now attempting to reach him from the back because Jesus, God sees all those who are trying to come to him. He sees the single parent that is struggling to raise their children. Jesus sees the heartbroken wife whose husband left with another woman. Jesus sees the confused young child whose parents are going through a devastating divorce. Jesus sees the young woman whose innocence has been stolen and taken away. Jesus sees the suicidal teenager who's being bullied at school or abused in the home. Jesus sees the struggling college student that is trying to figure out their purpose in life. Jesus sees the broken, barren womb that's longing for a child. Jesus sees the grieving husband that lost his wife to cancer. Jesus sees the prodigal son that's wasting their time in the pig's pen. Jesus sees the strung out drug addict that is longing for freedom and sobriety from their addictions. Jesus sees the guilty sinner that feels unworthy to come to church. He sees every person that's struggling to come to him. And sometimes we feel like God doesn't see us. Have you ever felt invisible? Like no one sees you, no one cares for you, no one understands the pain that you face and you're trying to get to God, you're struggling to come to him, you're trying to get him to notice you. Recognize, friends, that he, his eye has never left you. He sees us in our sorrow. He feels our pain in his own flesh. You need to know that when he sees you, it's only with eyes of infinite love, pity, and compassion. And if you're thankful for that, please say amen. This woman is struggling to reach Jesus. You know, sometimes it's a struggle to come to Jesus. Not because Jesus is inaccessible. He's always accessible. Sometimes it's hard to come to Jesus, not because he's unavailable. He's always available to us. Jesus promised, he that comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. But the reason why at times we find it so hard hard to come to Jesus because just like this woman, there's a crowd standing in our way. There's a crowd pushing us away from God. My friends, as you look at your life today, what crowd is standing between you and Jesus? Maybe a crowd of people, negative people in your life that's always holding you back and bringing you down. Maybe an ungodly relationship that that, you, that, that you're in that is not helping you heavenward. Maybe it's a, a crowd of things 
materialism. Hoarding, my friends, is a disease. We have so many things that occupy our time and our space that distract us and holds us back. The Bible says that in this race to heaven, we must lay aside not only the sin, but even the weights, the things that hold us down. What weights do you have in your life? Things. Maybe it's a crowd of busyness. As I said last night, if the devil cannot make us bad, he'll make us busy. He tries, he tries to occupy our time with so many things. Maybe a crowd of sin that needs to be surrendered to Jesus. My friends, whatever crowd stands between you and Christ, don't let the crowd keep you away. Like this woman, press and push and make your way through the crowd. As this woman does that, Jesus sees this woman coming from behind and asks the question, why did she come from behind? Well, the reason is simple. Because this woman understands the nature of her disease. She recognizes that according to the Levitical law, she is unclean. And according to that same law, whatever or whoever she touches would be rendered ceremonially unclean. And so her shameful case was such that she could not in all modesty tell the details of her problem to Jesus in public. So she comes from behind the crowd. It was a private cure. Or what kind of cure? A private cure she was wishing for. She is a woman of shame. And as she moves through the crowd, I can just imagine that the voice of shame began to shout in her ears. The voice of shame said, you're not worthy for him to stop and even notice you. But then the voice of faith began to speak. And the voice of faith said, but if you can just touch him, it is enough. Then the voice of shame would say, you can't have all of him. You don't have the position like Jairus or the money like Nicodemus. You got nothing to offer. You can't have all of him. But then the voice of faith said, you just need a little piece of him. If you can just touch the hem of his garment, it is enough. There is healing in the hem of his garment. That's what she believed. And the voice of faith prevailed as she continued to move through the crowd. Can you see her moving, friends? And I often wondered, why did she believe that there was healing in his clothes? How did she know that? My friends, listen, her belief, her faith was not a superstitious faith. The reason why she believed that there was healing in the hem of his garment is because this woman was familiar with an Old Testament messianic prophecy found in the book of Malachi chapter 4. You can turn there quickly. Malachi the fourth chapter, I want to show you something amazing. Hold your thumb here in Mark 5. Let's go to Malachi chapter 4. You see, this woman believed in the prophecy that describes what the Messiah would offer when he would come that first time. Malachi chapter 4 and verse 2, the Bible says, But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing. With what? Healing, but where is the healing found? In his wings. My friends, this woman knew that prophecy. That's why she said, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I shall be made whole. I, I will be healed. There is healing in his wings. Friends, do you know that word wings in the Hebrew is the word kanaf? The word kanaf. Can you say that? And guess what it means? Healing in his wings. The word kanaf, wings, it literally means the hem of the garment. So the verse is literally saying, friends, 
that there's healing in the hem of the garment. Her faith was not a superstitious faith. It was a faith based upon the promise of the word of God. And she, as she moved through the crowd, acted upon that word by faith. Healing in the hem of the garment. My friends, what is the garment a symbol of in the Bible? What is the garment, the covering, a symbol of? Righteousness. It's a symbol of righteousness. That's the reason why, by the way, when Jesus was crucified, he was crucified naked. They stripped him of his garment. He took our wretchedness and he gave us his righteousness. Jesus died naked so that we could live covered with his glory. Amen? A garment is a symbol of righteousness. But do you remember that in the Old Testament, God told his people to put something on the border of the garment, something that was to remind them. In the book of Numbers, in the book of Numbers, chapter 15, verses 38 through 40, you can write that down, read it later, God instructed his children to place a ribbon of blue. What color? A ribbon of blue on, on the board of the garments. Why? Because so that when they saw that color blue, it would remind them of the holy law of God. And we know that God's law is a law of love. It is the standard of righteousness. And so this woman, in reaching out to touch the board of the garment, the color blue, it was an expression of faith that believed that there was healing in the love and the righteousness of God. In other words, her touch was the touch of faith. She believed in a righteousness by faith. And that, my friends, is the first thing that makes us whole. It is the message and the experience of righteousness by faith. Amen? But here's the problem. According to the law, whatever she touches would be contaminated. And if Christ was just a mere man, her touch would have contaminated him. Oh, but Jesus is more than just a mere man. He's the infinite Son of God in human flesh. You know, many people in our world today, many people in our church today, are ashamed at times to come to church. I, I learned the other night that in this city, there are so many church members, so many Adventists that stop going to church. That's a tragedy. It breaks the heart of God. And I believe, friends, that the reason why many people stay away from church is because they already know that they're unclean and they feel unworthy. Satan deceives them into believing that church is only for holy people. But friends, if church was only for holy people, it would be empty. Because the Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. You see, friends, the reality of realities is this. The church is not a rest home for saints to get sleepy, to, to, to go to sleep and die. The church is a hospital for sinners to receive spiritual healing. Some people say, I don't want to go to church because I know I'm unclean. I'm not living right. That's like saying... I know, I'm, I know I'm sick, I know I have cancer, but I'm not going to go to the hospital. That's foolishness, friends. The church is not a rest home for saints, it's a hospital for sinners. And as people come here, 
What is that word hospital? It's, the word hospital sounds like another word. Hospitable. And friends, I pray that this church will continue, ha- continue to have that spirit of hospitality. That people can receive the spiritual healing that Jesus offers through the ministry of this church. Amen? I've experienced that spirit of hospitality this short time I've been with you. And I praise God for that. My friends, when divinity comes into contact with sick humanity, humanity does not contaminate divinity, but rather it's divinity that cleanses and cures weak, suffering humanity. Amen? If Jesus was a mere man, her touch would have contaminated him, but instead of he being contaminated, she was healed. You see, as a lily grows up in muddy water, but its flower remains pure, so is Jesus, the lily of the valley. In the midst of broken, messed up humanity, and yet he remains pure. He is the beautiful rose of Sharon, surrounded by piercing thorns. And so I want you to to remember, friends, that no matter how dirty you are, you cannot contaminate the perfection of divinity. It is perfect divinity that transforms the corruption of our humanity. And so this dirty woman was pressing, pressing through the crowd. She was coming to Jesus just as she was, and she reached out and touched him. And then notice verse 29, it says, and straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. My friends, she was physically healed the moment she touched the hem of the garment. With a grateful heart, now she tries to quietly withdraw from the crowd, but Jesus stops in his tracks. He will not let her go. Why? Listen carefully. This woman is physically healed, but she's not yet made whole. So Jesus is not going to let her go. He stops in his tracks. Why? Because Christ desired for her more than physical healing. He wanted to make her whole. You see, many people are physically well, but they're spiritually incomplete. Jesus not only wants to heal us, he wants to make us whole. There is one more thing that this woman must do in order to be made whole. I told you there are two things that make us whole according to the story. Number one, the righteousness of God by faith. But yet there is one more thing. She must come forward and tell the whole truth about her situation. And so notice verse 30. Verse 30, it says, And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him. What what had gone out of him? I want you to remember that word virtue. In the Greek, it's the word dunamis. What word did I say? That's the same word that's translated power in other passages. So Jesus, the moment she touched him, Jesus felt the virtue, the power, leave his body and go to that woman. And so when he felt the virtue leave, the Bible says that he turned about in the press and said, who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, thou seest the multitude thronging thee and sayest thou who touched me? Interesting. The moment he was touched by this woman. He stops dead in his tracks. And then he asks a question of absolute absurdity in the mind of the disciples, who touched me? And friends, there are two main reasons why Jesus asked the question. He didn't ask the question because he didn't know. 
He knew exactly who touched him. You see, whenever God asks a question in the Bible, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. He knows the answer. You see, this question is calculated to cause something to take place in the mind of the people. The first reason why Jesus asked the question is to demonstrate the distinction between the casual touch and the touch of faith. Because many in the crowd were touching him, but not all of them were healed. There's a divine difference between the casual touch and the touch of faith. Not everyone that came into his presence received his blessing. Not everyone that heard him was healed. Not everyone that saw him was saved. Not everyone that touched him experienced the power of his virtue. And in the same way today, friends, not everyone who comes to church is going to heaven. Not everyone that is carrying the Bible is truly living by its principles. Not everyone that's given an offering is really giving their hearts. Not everyone that is singing special music is really singing for Jesus. Not everyone who preaches is really telling the truth. Not everyone that claims and professes the name of God is really possessed by the Spirit of God. And not everyone that grew up in church is going to grow up in heaven. My friends, listen, there is a difference between the casual touch and the touch of faith. I urge you today in Jesus' name, let's not come to Jesus like the multitudes did, calm, cool, collected, and casual. Let's come like this woman did, expecting great things because we serve a great God that is able to deliver. Amen? We need far more than just to be in his presence. We need his presence to be in us. That's what Jesus said when he said, I'm the vine and you're the branches. Abide in me and I in you, for without me you can do nothing. Because it's possible to die from dehydration in a pool of water. And sometimes our religious experience can be characterized as that we're splashing around in the water, but we're dying of thirst. I know that was my experience in the past. Going to church week after week, hearing sermon after sermon, but not yet drinking of the water of life for myself. Thirsty in a pool of water. Friends, don't let it, that be you today. Drink and live forever. Amen. So Jesus asked the question, number one, to show the difference between the divine touch and the touch of faith. Then the second reason why he asked this question is to give this woman an opportunity to tell publicly what he had done for her privately. Notice what it says in verse 32. Verse 32, And he looked round about to see her that had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him what? All the truth. You see, this woman was healed physically, and yet the Bible says she was still trembling and afraid. Why? Because even though she was physically made well, she still did not understand the mission of the Messiah and the character of Christ. And so she fell down at Jesus' feet, and she told the whole truth. And friends, if we want to be made whole, we have to do the same thing for spiritual wholeness and completeness. 
comes from two things. Number one, the righteousness of God by faith. And number two, telling the whole truth about our issues. We need to stop excusing it, rationalizing it away, blaming others for it. You know, sometimes we have trust issues. We, 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 we can't seem to trust God with our lives. We want to be in control of our own lives, and we, we don't trust that He has our best interest in mind. And many times, the trust issues of the present are sourced from the abandonment issues of the past. Maybe you're abandoned or abused in your past, and because of that, you have trust issues in the present. Maybe sometimes, you know, we say, if, if my upbringing was a little bit different, then I would be different. And we tend, the human nature is such that we tend to blame others for our issues. But we got to tell the whole truth, friends. We got to stop excusing it, rationalizing it, and blaming others. We must own our issues and tell the whole truth, being vulnerable to God. And it's only then that we will be made whole. What does that mean? It means practically that if you're struggling to forgive someone, maybe someone has wronged you, taken advantage of you, hurt you or abused you in the past and you can never forget what that person has done and you're struggling with with, with bitterness and resentment and you say, Lord, I don't want to forgive this person. Tell God the truth of how you feel. There was someone that had said some words to me years ago and I was so hurt by those words that I, I stopped talking to that person. I was a slave to bitterness. I was so angry, and I would not speak to that person. I told God, Lord, I don't want to love this person. I don't want to see this person. I don't want to forgive this person. And when I told the truth about God, to God about my situation, it's then that God began to soften my heart and place his love and his forgiveness in my life. And that relationship was reconciled. Maybe there's someone here today, you haven't spoken with someone in your family for years. Today. Jesus wants to heal that relationship. If you're struggling with doubts, tell God the truth about that. You know, there's sometimes the the enemy tempts me with doubt. And I think to myself, is what I'm preaching actually true? If you ever have experienced that, tell God the truth about your doubts. Say, Lord, I'm not sure about this. I'm struggling with this. And when you're honest with God and, and not hiding behind some religious mask or, or spiritual activity and you just open yourself before God and say, Lord, I'm struggling with doubt, it's then that God will give you faith, the faith of Jesus. Sometimes we fight against our sinful nature. And the pull of our own carnal flesh is so strong at times. If you're fighting against your sinful nature, tell God the truth of that battle. And God can give you victory. There have been times where I have been sorely tempted. The temptation was so strong. The flesh was was pulling me that I had to fall on my knees and I had to pray and call upon the Lord and say, God, let me die before I respond to this temptation. My friends, if you love sin, tell God the truth. Lord, I love sin. But I hate the fact that I love sin. I love sin, but I hate the fact that I love it. And God can work with that, amen? It's then that God can, begins to change our hearts. Just like the song we sing, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Have you felt that? Take my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. 
for thy courts above. If we want to be made whole, if we want to be a whole church, we got to tell the whole truth. And as this woman does that, then notice how Jesus responds in verse 34. We're almost finished. Verse 34, Jesus says, and he said to her, daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. Jesus called her daughter. She wasn't just a certain woman. She was a daughter of God, a child of the king. Yes, she had major issues. She was weak and unclean. Yes, she was unholy, unrighteous, unworthy and undeserving, but she had a touch of faith that made her whole. And my dear friend, I call upon you to recognize and acknowledge today that yes, you and I, we are, a, we are sick sinners waiting to die, a terminally ill cancer patient with no power to heal ourselves. We've made mistakes, and perhaps we've made a fool of ourselves in the process. We may feel spiritually empty and morally bankrupt, but I'm here to tell you today, friends, that there is a bomb in Gilead. There is a physician there, one that has placed himself in our pathway, one that has the supernatural remedy for the sin-sick soul, one that has infinite healing in the hem of his garment, one that recognizes that despite our disease, we are still a child of heaven. He loves us no matter how many issues we have or how dirty we are. And today I appeal to you to cast your wretchedness upon his holy righteousness. Reach out to him by faith and you shall be made whole. Your emptiness will be filled. Your heart will be healed and the issues will dry up. How many of you want the issues of your life to dry up? How many of you want Jesus to make you whole? Well, as we close this morning, what is the virtue that makes us whole? What is the power that heals the sin-sick soul? Well, friends, the Bible says that virtue came out of Christ. You remember the word virtue? What is the Greek word? Dunamis, which means power. And as a result of that virtue or that power, she was made whole. And the word whole is the word sozo. It, it means the same thing as saved. To be made whole or to be healed is the same thing as to be saved in the Bible. So what is that virtue that made her whole? What is the power that heals the sin-sick soul? It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18. Turn there quickly. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, this is my last verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18 defines for us where the healing actually comes from. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18, the Bible says, for the preaching of the cross. Are you there? The preaching of the what, everyone? The preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, that word saved is the same thing as made whole, sozo. For us who are saved, it is the what? Power of God. That word power is the same thing as dunamis, virtue. My friends, the truth that makes us whole is the truth found in the healing cross. Because do you know what happened at the cross? At the cross, the virtuous Christ entered into the experience of that woman that felt lonely, forsaken, abandoned, and unclean. 
And friends, at that cross, Jesus took upon himself all the issues of humanity with the guilt, the shame, the embarrassment, and the condemnation that all of the issues causes. He entered into our experience, and as a result of that, there was an issue of blood that flowed from his hands. An issue of blood that flowed from his feet, from his head, and from his side. And the agony was so intense that it pierced his infinite heart. Listen, friends, as the Roman spear pierced the side of Christ, so did our sin and our pain pierce the heart of God. The Bible says that he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. He was cut to the heart by our rejection, pierced to the soul by our abandonment. But from the wounded heart of God flowed the issue of life-saving blood. For the Bible says, it is by his stripes we are healed, we are saved, we are made whole. His pain was our gain. His death was our life. His blood was our healing. A hole in his hands to make us whole in the heart. If you're thankful for Jesus, say amen. From the heart of Christ flowed blood and water. You know why the Roman soldiers speared him, don't you? To make sure that he was dead. They speared him in the side under the ribcage. Really, they were spearing him to the heart to make sure that he was dead. And from that heart flowed blood and water. Why? Blood for our justification, water for our sanctification. But why blood and water? Modern science has discovered that when a person experiences an extreme case of mental, emotional, and psychological agony and stress, their heart can literally break, exploding in their chest. And when that happens, they say that the red blood cells and the plasma separate. And so when you see blood and water flowing from the heart of Christ, it shows that the cause of death was not the physical pain of the nails. The cause of his death was the mental, emotional, and psychological pain of being rejected by his children, seemingly forsaken of his father. Jesus literally died of a broken heart. My friends, his heart was broken so that yours could be made whole. Have you ever had a broken heart? Maybe your heart has been broken by the unfaithfulness of a cheating spouse, the betrayal of a backstabbing brother, the abuse of a negligent parent, maybe the disrespect of a belligerent child. Jesus understands what it means to have a broken heart. And he can heal your broken heart as long as you give him all the broken pieces. My friends, you need to know that no matter how dirty, sinful, and messed up you are, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. That certain woman rejoiced to see that fountain in her day and there may I, though, though dirty as she, wash all my sins away. Ere since by faith I saw the stream, thy flowing wounds supply, redeeming love has been my theme and shall be till I die. By the grace of God, it will be my theme until I die. Is that your prayer today? If you're thankful for Jesus, if you want to experience wholeness in your life, stand with me. 
as we close in prayer. By standing, we're telling the whole truth about our condition. We don't want to hide behind a religious mask. We want to lay the matter out before the Lord. He can handle it, and he can heal us. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your great love and your mercy towards us. We thank you, dear Lord, that you are a God that sees us in our struggle to come to you. You see the pain. You see the shame. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us, Lord, for the sin of our life, for the selfishness, for the spiritual pride and even arrogance. Lord, we recognize that we need help. So we lay ourselves out before you. And we're so grateful that you have provided healing in the hem of the garment. And sometimes, Lord, we go through situations where we feel like we're just hanging on by a thread. May that thread be the hem of your garment. Thank you so much, Lord, for hearing this prayer. And Lord, as we receive your healing, now make us a medium of healing to others. That we will be a recipient and a participant of your healing grace in sharing it with the world. Bless us as we leave church, but may we never leave your presence. In the name of Jesus, we pray this prayer. Let all of God's children say, Amen.